Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But the anointing which you have received from him, verse 27, it abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. This doesn't mean that we are not to spend time together and go through Bible studies. The Holy Spirit is the best teacher. And many of you have listened to him, and you're learning on your own. But it doesn't negate the need to come together, right? Because we know that the Spirit of God not only teaches us, but he also teaches others, and we can come together together and we can learn from one another. Welcome, everyone, to our Bible study today on Truth in Christ Radio. This anointing that John speaks about in our study today is what enables Christians to continue in the truth. The anointing is not the private property of a few special or spectacular Christians. All Christians have the presence of God's Spirit within them. Because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we possess the resources for knowing the truth. This is not to say that teachers are unnecessary, because one of the resources for knowing the truth is the reminder given by teachers like John. The anointing which guides us into the truth will also guide us closer to Jesus. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. Justify the means. So we need to grow in love and we need to be patient, right? That's a word that we don't like anymore. We need to be patient. I need to be patient. But God doesn't seem to understand that we live in America in the 21st century. He doesn't understand that we live in a have-it-our-way-right-away culture. He doesn't seem to understand that, does he? Oh, he very much understands it. So where will you go? The apostles said that to Jesus one day. He said, are you going to leave too? Are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? There's no greater place for us to go. You have the words of eternal life. Why would we go somewhere else where there's a broken cistern? It's supposed to be holding water, but there's a crack in it. It has this promise of giving me fulfillment and and making me feel better and, and, and providing sustenance and nutrients that I need. It has that promise, but it's broken. And he says, come to me, the fountain of the living waters. And I believe the Lord is saying that to some of you today. Come back to the fountain of living waters come back to the fountain. This is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Didn't he promise that in John chapter 3? For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave as a gift, his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You're either going to perish forever, you're going to be living in death, the second death, for eternity, alive in, in, in a new body, or you're going to live 
with a new body in eternity for everlasting life with Jesus. We have to make the decision. Eternity is real. Eternal life is real. It's not just a quantity of life, but it's also a quality of life. Isn't that what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, 18? Paul's prayer to the, the church at Ephesus, he said this, May you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be what? Filled with all the fullness of God. Is there more than three dimensions there? That boggles my mind. That means there's a fourth dimension. He didn't put it in there just flippantly. There's, some, there's a measure to this dimension that Paul is talking about that goes beyond my understanding, goes way beyond me. He's given us eternal life. Jesus said to Martha, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die physically, He shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. We're all going to die, but eternity is forever. We're going to live, and we're going to die physically, but there is a resurrection. And you'll be either resurrected to eternal life or to damnation in hell. It's one or the other. There are no middle grounds. There are no middle grounds. There's no door number three. There's only two doors. And you determine where you spend eternity. He's given us eternal life. Everlasting life is eternal life. And Jesus has authority over it. In John chapter 17 and verse 2, he says, and he's speaking this high priestly prayer. He's speaking to the Father. He says, as you have given him, he's speaking about himself, as you, Father, have given me, Christ, he says, authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that you that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So is he eternal life? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And going on in verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. There have been many deceivers up to this time. You know, perhaps John was trying to encourage them in their salvation because of what some of these antichrists were trying to do to undermine their faith. They were there from the very beginning of the church. And believe me, they're very much alive and well in the world today. Antichrists. We know that there's one coming who is the antichrist, but there are also other lesser antichrists whose desire and uh, campaign is the same. To spread false lies. To spread, well, all laws are all false, all lies are false. (laughs) To spread lies, to get you away from the truth. Because it comes from the devil, it doesn't come from God. They want to separate you from what they think they can separate you from. They want to rip you off. Isn't the world a better place? Only because of Christ is it going to be a decent place. Only because of the Lord living inside of you by the Spirit. Only because of you, folks, is this world any has any decency. Because once you're removed from this earth, believe me, I don't want to be here the day after the church is removed. I'm glad I won't be. Because believe me, it is going to be really, really wicked and ugly really, really quick. If you have anybody in your family who doesn't know Christ, plead with them in tears. You must know Jesus Christ. You must confess your sin. You must receive the Spirit of God. You must be born again. It's not an option. That was a command, was it not, Jesus to Nicodemus? You must be born again. Was that just a suggestion? Did he say you must be born again but really meant, well, it's a good idea. He got many options. You know, just choose one, Nicodemus. It'll all be, all roads lead to God. No, they don't. Well, they do, but they don't. 
all will stand before Christ. But there will be a sifting at that time. We know that who this is. But there are many antichrists. Early in our uh, 20th century, Jim Jones, or in the middle of the 20th century, I forget the exact date, 19-something, 60-something, 70, I forget. Yeah, 1970, Jim Jones. David Koresh in, in Plano, Texas, or Waco, Texas, and many other cult leaders, they've all claimed to have some kind of deity that they were Christ. False deceivers. There's another good word for you. False deceivers. Are there good deceivers? Well, I'm just full of it today. Double negatives. He says, but you... But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. This is the Spirit of God. The anointing which you have received from him, from Jesus, abides in you. Notice, in you. The Spirit of God remains in you. If you're a Christian, if you're a real Christian, the Spirit of God is in you. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, it doesn't matter what good things you do. It doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. It doesn't matter how much you go to church. If the Spirit of God is not in you, you are not a Christian. It doesn't matter how much money you give. It doesn't matter how much you serve. It doesn't matter how much glass you walk on your knees to walk up to the temple. It doesn't matter your works. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught to you, you will abide in him. You know, the Spirit of God, if you're a child of God, indwells you. He indwells you. But the anointing which you have received from him, verse 27, it abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. This doesn't mean that we are not to spend time together and go through Bible studies. The Holy Spirit is the best teacher. And many of you have listened to him and you're learning on your own. But it doesn't negate the need to come together, right? Because we know that the Spirit of God not only teaches us, but he also teaches others. And we can come together and we can learn from one another. Otherwise, why would Paul say in Ephesians, under the influence of the Spirit of God, and it says in Ephesians 4, verse 11, and he, Jesus, himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why would he say that if we don't need to be taught? We can still learn from one another. But they certainly didn't need to learn from these deceivers. He says, you've got the Spirit of God in you. He'll show you all things. Isn't that what it says in John, in John's Gospel? Jesus said in John 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Are we listening? He will teach you. And also in John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, However... When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into what? Into all truth. That means if you are alone on a desert island, the spirit of God is all you need. But boy, what a wonderful thing is when we can get together and we can still encourage one another. It's important for us to assemble together. What does the author of Hebrews say in verse 10, verse 24? He says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love, notice, and to good works. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ approaching. As we look at the things in the world, we know that his coming for the church and the rapture is coming very soon. And if we see that the second coming, things are starting to align pretty quickly. This ought to really encourage us because we're getting to the end of the end. I know they've been saying that for years. And even the... uh, uh, one of the other prophets or the um, other um, apostles said the same thing. You know, people say, oh, he's, been co- you know, he's coming, he's coming. I've been saying that for years. Nothing's happening. Where is the promise of his coming? Hey, listen, don't get into that mindset. Things are aligning more now than they've ever aligned before. Things are coming into sharp focus. It's almost like the lens was out of focus, and all of a sudden, as time is going on, the Lord is just taking that lens, and he's, 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 he's adjusting it, and now it's becoming clear, and we're going, wow. It really is coming soon. He's like, yes, it is. You don't know the day or the hour when Christ comes for the church, but his second coming to the earth is very much according to a timetable. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to precede that, but the rapture could occur at any time. We know this. And we know, little children, verse 28, and now, little children, abide in him. There's his command. Abide in him that when he appears, when he appears, remember, in the rapture of the church, we're going to see him in the clouds. He's not going to set foot on the earth at that time. We are going to ascend the, the dead in Christ. You can read about this. Just write these down. First Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, and Revel, um, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Read the whole chapter. But it talks about the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Those who have already dead in the grave, they are going to receive a new body, and they're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord first. They will, that'll happen first, and then we, which are alive and remain, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. This old body, this old corruption, is going to be turned into incorruption, and we are going to be caught up after them. There's an order. It's very important. We're going to be caught up. Afterwards, and we will be with him forever. And then he says something really remarkable at the end of First Thessalonians four. He says, "Now comfort one another with these words." Wow, that is comforting. That's your heritage. That's the blessed hope. That's what we have to look forward to. So abide in him, and ha- that we may have confidence and not be ashamed at him before him at his coming. We need to abide in him. And this is something that, again, we have to purpose to do. It is not going to be something that's going to happen by default or inaction. It's something we're going to have to purpose to do. Are you willing to purposely do something? If you're like me, I need this discipline. I need this, this, this holy fire under me to not just cruise control, not to just put the thing on cruise control. Don't let your walk with Christ be on cruise control. You focus on him. Get into the word. Believe in him and let it change you. Don't just let, don't, just don't hear it and let it go. Work on it. See, that's really where we get bored as Christians because we've heard a lot of stuff, but we don't do anything. It's, it, the, the, the wonderful thing about it is when we, when we do it and we see the results of it, it ought to spur you on to continue. That's what it's all about. That's why it's so rich. That's why our walk with him is so rich. I gotta put feet on it. Otherwise, I'm just going to grow on the vine. I'm just going to kind of be there limp and just kind of like, I don't know if I want to do it. I just want to stay home with my bowl of popcorn, my Diet Coke, and watch the Hallmark Christmas movies. No, we have to purpose with everything within us. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy things. God wants you to enjoy things. 
enjoy thing, enjoy life. I mean, it's there. I mean, think of it. I mean, it's He's given us life. He's given us so many wonderful things. He's saying, enjoy them, but there's limits, there's boundaries, and boy, I love that. Whenever somebody gives me a boundary, I'm free within the boundary. I'm free within this area that God has given me. Do whatever you want within this framework. Praise the Lord. There's true freedom when there's boundaries. When you remove the boundaries and anything goes, believe me, the only result, the only result is chaos and heartbreak and heartache and ruined families, ruined marriages, ruined people. When anything goes... If it feels good, do it. Just do it. If it feels good, it must be right. After all, God is a God of love. So what if it's another man? So what if you're a man and you're attracted to another man? No, if, you gotta, if you're attracted to another man, if you're a woman attracted to another woman in a physical, sexual way, you've got some prayer to do. You are being deceived. It is a choice that you make. You're not born with that propensity. That is the biggest lie from the pit of hell I've ever heard. You are not born to look at somebody else in that way. God made male and female, and he saw that it was good. Can I get an amen in the house of God? (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) But it's something we have to purpose to do. Purpose to do. One more verse. It does bring a sobriety to us, doesn't it? Knowing that the Lord will come. That the Lord will come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 50, I have to read this. Now this I say, brethren, notice, you know, this is right on the, the cusp of that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50, Paul says to them, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And here he goes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. And here he's talking about the rapture of the church. I would uh, compare this passage that we're looking at right now with the 1 Thessalonians 4 passage, verse 13 through 18. Read them both, and you'll get a pretty good picture. He says, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Notice the order. They'll be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then, this corrupt, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And here he's quoting from the Psalms. O death, where is your sting? O Hades or hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, my brethren, there's another good word. Somebody should be writing these down and we can just publish them on the internet. Therefore, my beloved brethren, (laughs) be steadfast. Notice, immovable. That sounds like the word we were talking about. Abide, right? To stay, to be stable, to, to persevere. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. You will be rewarded. 
All the rewards are so great. And you know, and I'm convinced that right now I don't have a clue of how great those rewards are going to be. And we get rewarded for just loving on him and doing and just letting him work through us. It's, it's an incredible thing. He gives us all of that. And then it, it works through us and we do it and then we get rewarded for it. It's almost like unfair. And that's okay. The Lord is not worried about that. He says, if you know, verse 29, that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. We're going to get to this uh, next verse next week, but I have to read it to you in comparison with what we just read. Let me read it again. If you know that he, Christ, is righteous, that God is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness, that means that there's, there's something we have to do, right? We're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. Through grace, and that not of works, lest any man should boast. However, as a result of being saved, as a result of the Spirit of God in us, there ought to be something coming out of me. There ought to be, if I'm, if I'm healthy, there ought to be something good coming out. Now, sometimes I block up that flow. It's like this beam of light that God wants to do in our life. And I can have that beam of light and let it shine and take off and clean the lens and let it shine for everyone to see. I can either be like that, or I can have stuff in my life where I'm just putting marks all over this screen that's in front of me that's supposed to be bursting forth with life and light and good things. And I alone, and this is a scary thing about being a human being, I have the ability to mar that lens to my own peril. It doesn't mean that I'm going to lose my salvation if I'm a child of God, but I'm going to experience less of him. I'm going to be less excited of him because I am purposely allowing these things in my life. And what does that do? It, it discourages me. And guess what? I'm going to be a discouragement to others rather than being a light. So how important is it for us together, collectively, to walk with him, to do those things, to put off the deeds of the flesh and then put on the robe of righteousness, to put on the righteousness which is of Christ that he gives us? How important is it then that I do that? It's very important. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, Beloved, and we're going to get to this next week. This is one of my favorite verses. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And notice this verse just kills me. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Yes, we have to purify ourselves. Is it true that Jesus purified us by his blood? Absolutely. In fact, the, the, the word actually goes beyond just purified me from the past. He's also purifying me today, and he's ultimately going to purify me. That's how wonderful the word is. He purifies us. That is true, and it, that's the main thing. But there are things that we are supposed to do too. As a result of that, what do we do? Do we wallow in the mud with the pigs, or do we get out of the, the, the pig pen, clean ourselves up and say, Lord, you, you, you deserve more from me. I need to deny, deny my flesh. I need to put off those deeds of darkness. You know what they are. You know what you're, the things that are hindering you. Put off those things and put on Christ. And so... These things are important, and let's all do that. I, I hope that you're not discouraged by this message today. Because remember, God is love. Let the love of God abide in you. Let him take control of you completely. Don't let anything rob you ever again.
Let him work in you. Man, I just, I wish I could just, you know, do you ever get so frustrated with your own character that you just, you just want to like jump into a lava pit and be purified? I know that's kind of extreme. Is that extreme? Yeah, maybe it is. But you know, do you desire that? Do you want it? Do you desire it? Christians, we have to desire it. Desire to be like him. I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.